You are listening to the sermons of Concordia Lutheran Church, located at 3144 South Home Avenue in Berwyn, Illinois. We invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9 o'clock a.m. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As you heard last week, um, every, every new church year, I choose one of the readings to, to preach on. And so this year, I've chosen the Psalms, partially because I've never preached on the Psalms, but partially because it also allows us to hear some of the themes that are common throughout the Bible, but we don't always hear in the schedule of readings from the other books. And today, we're looking at Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is all about the gift of God to the king and what the king is supposed to do. And so we see in the first opening verses, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. You can see the repeat of a couple of words in there, justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are, in short, the job description of the kings of Israel. If a king is supposed to do anything, it's those two things. And righteousness and justice have a particular definition in the king's job description. Justice is taking care of the people who don't have power. The idea is that there's supposed to be a rule of law. So that it's not just the rich, the powerful, the well-connected who get everything that's good and they can take it from the needy, but the king is there to protect the poor, the widow, and the orphan and keep them safe from the well-connected and keep them safe from the rich and powerful and strong. And you can see that in some of the things that the king were praying for. It says, may he defend the cause of the poor of the needy and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. His job is to bring justice for the poor, the needy, those who need protection from the rich and powerful. Now the other job is righteousness. The king's job is to make sure righteousness happened in Israel. And if you look at the book of Kings, They always evaluate a king on a couple of things that he's supposed to do with righteousness. The first one, he's supposed to love the Lord his God with his whole heart and follow the commandments. The second is that he's supposed to cause all of the people to do the same. And the third is tear down all the worship sites called the high places and make everybody worship at the temple in Jerusalem. This is what a king was supposed to do. It's his job description. And if you look at the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy with the covenant that God gave Israel, if he did it right, they would have blessing. And you can see that when he talks about the, the success that would come in the hills and the mountains and all of on Israel. But if he did it wrong, they would get the curses. What our bulletin doesn't show you is the superscription that comes before the psalm that tells who wrote it, 
This psalm, it says, is a psalm of Solomon. Solomon's a perfect test case for the psalm. Asking for justice and righteousness to be given to the king. Now you probably know the most famous story of Solomon is the giving of wisdom, right? He goes to Gibeon, one of the high places, and offers sacrifices. And then in a dream, uh, God comes to him and gives him whatever he wants. And Solomon says, give me wisdom to govern your people. What a faithful response, right? But the very same story starts out with unfaithfulness. It begins with, by saying that Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh and married his daughter, which was illegal for the people of Israel, much more the king. And then he goes up and he offers a sacrifice at the high places he was supposed to tear down. Solomon wasn't a great king. He starts out a bad guy, failing at his job. And the kings that follow him follow suit. They do not do justice and righteousness. They do not tear down the high places and worship only in the temple. And this brings God's wrath down on his people. Because the king didn't just represent himself. The king was the embodiment of Israel. Even the best king, King Josiah, who literally went out and defiled all of the high places, who went north into Jerusalem or northern Israel and conquered them all and defiled their altars and forced everyone to worship at the temple, even he didn't do it all right. When God told him not to go out and fight Pharaoh Necho, he did anyway. And he died there on Mount Megiddo. The kings always failed. And that's the theme of, of our message today, is that these great leaders, they always fail us. But God never does. You see, when we, the kings of Israel failed because they were sinners and they could not be righteous before God and they could not bring the blessings that God wanted to bring Israel, but only the curses. That would be the same for us if we followed that kind of king. But we don't. We have a king who is different from Israel's. We have a king who did it right. Who brought about justice. If you read the things that Jesus talked about, especially in the Beatitudes, it was all about lifting up the poor and casting down the, the, the uh, proud. Now, we don't see that casting down the proud in the, the most famous ones in Matthew, but in the ones with Luke, Jesus finishes the beatitude with a bunch of woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your reward. But what we see most of all is Jesus' forgiveness for those who are broken and Jesus embodying righteousness for us. And that's what he did when he went to the cross. He went to the cross to embody righteousness, to fulfill everything and take the curses on himself so that you can have life. Where the great kings of the Old Testament failed, Jesus didn't. 
And he gives you life. It's not just the kings that failed. Our great leaders today also fail. So many people chase after leaders and philosophies that they think will will make them great or lead them to wonderful things. I read an article about this philosophy called the Enneagram. It's this thing that is, uh, I, I guess, moving through Christianity is an important part of it. People are taking it in. And the idea behind it is that it's a personality typing system. So you understand your personality through it, and then you're supposed to accept and love your flaws. Does that sound like Christianity? We see our flaws as sins, and that these are things we need to repent of and receive forgiveness. Now, the reason I think that this is so popular is because many Christians haven't heard the gospel. The forgiveness part, the love part, the turning into a righteous person in Jesus. But the Enneagram has a flaw. It's all about personal growth. You're supposed to love yourself and then take your flaws and grow out of them. And this self-help think it will always fail because eventually you will get to a point where you say, wait a second, I'm not growing like I should be. I'm not becoming the person I want to be. And in the end, it drops out. In the end, it leaves you empty. There are other philosophies and leaders that often fail of us. In fact, all of them do eventually. I just read an article about the guy who started Bikram Yoga. His name was Bikram Chahudi. I'm I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. He started this, the yoga trend in the hot studios. And so he would go out and people followed it like this was religion. It was devoted and cultish. And now it's come out that the man used his power to abuse the women under his sway. It's because great leaders, when we follow someone and give them so much power, it always turns them. And the people will do whatever they want because they follow this power without question. The problem then is that they always fail us. They never bring us to this higher plane. They never fulfill our lives and we end up looking at our sin or the sin of the leader and it leaves us empty because we can't get rid of it. We're oppressed by it. But our King Jesus, he is different. He never fails us in any way. And the most important way in this regard is that he destroys the power of sin in our lives. We don't need self-fulfillment. We don't need a philosophy that will raise us into a higher plane of being or grow into this amazing person because we can't. Jesus does it for us. And he does it by destroying the power of sin that oppresses us. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. See, we chase after so many things, but they always fail. Jesus never fails. He frees us from all of this self-help, this need to grow, and gives us life. But it's not just secular leaders and philosophies that fail. It's also important to know that your leaders fail. Your pastors fail. Your churches fail. They fail to live up to what God wants us and calls us to be. You probably know that I'm the circuit visitor for the south region of the English district um, that runs all the way from Elmhurst all the way down to Markham. And as circuit visitor, I get to hear all of the fun stuff that happens in our churches. And it's not fun at, at all. I get to hear about the pastors who do crazy things. I get to hear about the congregations who get angry or in rebel and chase out guys who are just trying to be faithful. I get to hear about all the bad stuff that's going on. And sometimes I get to hear about the craziest things and it just amazes me that God still is with his church. Because God still uses those guys and those congregations to deliver salvation. God still uses these broken men and these broken people to bring about the, the kingdom of God here on earth. God uses this broken man to forgive your sins and bring you to everlasting life. And we need to expect that. The problem sometimes is that the, the personalities of pastors, we can fall in love with them. Or the personalities of a congregation, we can fall in love with them too. If we, we start to love the leader or the people more than we love Jesus, when they turn, and eventually they will, it can cause us to leave. I think that's why church shopping can be so dangerous. When you go and you look for a church, it's not the things that God wants. You look for things like, oh, the pastor's really nice. I like him a lot. Or the congregation is really welcoming. That's the way we come to church. Or they've got great programs. Or the committees are wonderful. They accepted me in. Isn't that what we hunt for? Isn't that what we search for? But can't those things fall apart? Don't those things turn when sin rears up? That once you get past that, that first week of welcoming and handshaking, you get to hear about the rumors and the problems. What we need to do is expect that. We need to be able to see that it's not because a congregation is wonderful or a pastor is charismatic, but because God works even through these people. Even these people and pastors who fail. Because that's the amazing thing about our king is he never fails, even though his messengers and his church does. He never fails to give you eternal life. He never fails to forgive your sins, even when everything is broken. That's because leaders always fail. But our king never does. 
In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermons of Concordia Lutheran Church. For more information about getting involved, please visit concordiaberwin.org. Like us on Facebook at Concordia Lutheran Church and Little Lambs.